Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be breaking down yesterday's matchup against the Phoenix Suns and what to expect against the Portland Trailblazers tonight. So this is one of our mini back-to-back sets that I was kind of talking about in yesterday's podcast going to face Phoenix and then traveling 1300 some odd miles to play Portland tonight. Both these games 9 p.m. tip-off times for Central Standard Time. So pretty, pretty late relative to what we are used to. But yeah, that's just kind of how it is. Took our little mini West Coast trip. Already down one game, heading on to the second. But I just kind of want to go into yesterday's game against the Phoenix Suns. And I was actually contemplating whether or not I would do like a little live post-game reaction. And I think honestly it would have been pretty fun because of what transpired but that first half was just by all accounts it was kind of a disaster like nothing was working out for the Oklahoma City Thunder you tip off knowing that you don't have your main guys and the Suns they have everybody they need I think they didn't have like Frank Kaminsky or something so all their critical guys are are there we didn't have any of our starters just a lot of our rookies and players like that and we just couldn't really find any sort of rhythm while Phoenix, they were just completely destroying. They made their first five of six shots in the first two minutes. Chris Paul counted on four of those five makes. I think he had two field goals and then he assisted on two. So he was just everywhere they needed it to be. So they got up double digits like in the snap of a finger and they kind of just kept expanding. In the first four minutes, they were up 17 to five. And they kept building it. They got it to 24 to 5 before the Thunder could even get a basket on the board. And that streak alone, that was a 19 0 run we saw from Phoenix. So it was just a typical 4 5 start, just kind of both feeling each other out almost while, you know, you get going with the game. But yeah, Phoenix, they kind of just snapped right into shape. I mean, they kind of had some question marks as to if they're legitimate. Obviously, playing against a team like ours last night, maybe it's not the best comparison. You want to be matched up against the best of the best to know how elite you are. But the stretch they had in the first alone, it tells me that they're, you know, a top team in the league, 100%. So they finished the first quarter on 60% shooting, 15 to 25 for them. Oklahoma City, they were lucky to even shoot above 10% from the field because there was a point and I'm talking maybe a minute or two removed from that first buzzer, they only had like one or two field goals made. It was really bad for them. They got it up at the very end. They shot four of 25, so 16% in that quarter, but that that's just terrible. I mean, they were just clamped up. Nothing was working out for them, and because of that, Phoenix, they were up 30 points. They were up 43 to 13. So you kind of already have everything set out there. I think one of the main reasons Phoenix was able to stay up that much, obviously their defense was amazing, but they really were just trying to make life hell inside. They didn't want anyone driving in. And it was smart because when they were giving out three point shots, Oklahoma City was not making them. They only hit one of their eight tries while Phoenix, everyone was getting free shots, such as Chris Paul. We saw him in action last season. He's so good at manipulating defenses. And with a team kind of as young as ours, I would say, I'd imagine Chris Paul kind of had a field day, just picking everybody off one by one on the squad and just giving everybody good looks. So 
by that, I mean, 43 points at halftime is good. Getting in the first 12 minutes alone is absolutely insane, especially when you look at how many points the Thunder had, 13. That is, that is bad. So heading into that second quarter, it was pretty much already written that it was going to be a very tough job trying to get in. Like if they were going to have any shot in that second half, they needed to erase this at least to 20 points, if not even less of a deficit to kind of dig yourselves out of. And Oklahoma City on offense, they were definitely giving Phoenix a run for their money. Like there was a time in this game in the second quarter where I actually thought, you know, maybe the Thunder could have one of these historic comebacks yet again, even though they don't have their main guys, maybe with Mark Dagnall, they can find a way. And it's because they made triple after triple. Seven of their first nine tries from downtown hit in that quarter. It was like a straight up machine going on for them. So 21 of their first 24 points came from beyond the arc. And they just kept being able to put the pressure on Phoenix. They weren't really caving in that much. There was a time where the Thunder went on a 10 to 1 stretch to actually get the deficit down to 20. But I think at the end, Jay Crowder hit some like crazy and one. So they got up 73 to 50. But it was just tough for them. I think Oklahoma City, they were just firing. They did exactly what they needed to do. And I think in any other situation, they would have been the ones trying to blow somebody out, you know take that first quarter out that is insane numbers coming from a team like ours given all the circumstances but phoenix they just could not miss and i think it was like two or three minutes into the second quarter dario saric he wanted to try to penetrate in like he was taking a close inside shot looking right under the rim so i guess it's not really penetration but He's right under the rim. He is swarmed. He is damn near double teamed right now. He has no breathing room whatsoever. He is fighting for his damn life. Like there is no good reason why Saric should even be taking the shot right now because of how poor it was. Looked like he got blocked, swatted, anything. He was just 100% contested. No good reason you could try to tell Monty Williams that was a good shot to be taken. But he flails up this close shot. And he just chucked it up. This was a moonshot. This basketball went way over the top of the backboard. Like, I'm I'm giving it maybe like five to eight extra feet there. It was wild. You know, maybe I might be exaggerating a little, but I'm not sure if the TV screen caught that whole entire the whole entire thing. You know, I know the Bally Sports camera crew is kind of changing things up, so maybe they caught it in frame. But this was a moonshot. This was wild. And it was nothing but net. So I think that was the play that really stood out to me. And I know that it really doesn't show off skill from either side. And it wasn't decisive. But I really think it just embodies what kind of the flow of the game was. So in the third and fourth quarter, Oklahoma City, they were still doing a good job offensively. Like when it came to shooting three-pointers, I thought they were still doing a really great job. Um, I know at halftime, Maladone and Pokachevsky... They had 18 and 14, respectively. So they were really just dominating. And in the third quarter, Maladone, he set his career high. I think there was like five minutes to go. He already had 26 points. Pokachevsky, not too far behind. He was still getting baskets. And in the fourth quarter, Maladone just kept stacking. So they, Dagnall let Pokachevsky, let Maladone play 
really the entire game, but some of those other mainstays we've seen, like Svee and Moses Brown, probably these past like week, I would say, they didn't play that much. They really just wanted to cycle through, see what lineups would work. And they put in Justin Jackson with like no time, just fourth quarter, toss him in. He's not on the injury report, so hell, let, let's give him a shot. He did great. And with him, you always look at him and you're really puzzled. Like I gave the Nader kind of analogy last last podcast. I don't know if I'd really call it an analogy, but I was just saying that he's not really that appealing to watch, but he gives you the results eight out of 10 times. Justin Jackson, I'm not going to give him the eight out of 10 times thing just yet. I think it's more of a coin flip on whether he's feeling it in certain games. But when he's hot, like he looks he looks weird whenever he plays, man. Like he is not your typical high flyer. He's playing power forward as a six foot seven guy. He's not really that big and he's not that fast. So you kind of look at him like, where does he fit in the grand scheme of things? It doesn't matter. Like 15 points in around 10 minutes is insane from him. Like they could not find any real solution. He shot three of five from downtown, five of eight in total, but I think they they just keep finding kind of resourceful minutes from everybody. And I know you could say it's kind of a waste because at that point they were down like 30, like the entire way through. But I still think it's kind of important to highlight some of these moments that we saw. And from a guy like Justin Jackson, man, I think it really could help him out because he's not going to be playing a ton. I think that, you know, with us shifting, he's just not part of the plans. He really has not been part of the plans for the entire way. But he's been able to just stick around on the bench. Always seems to be like a good person. I've seen some of the stuff he's done outside the basketball court. He's even better of a person. So giving him the minutes, letting him shine, let him get a second contract. I don't know if it's going to be from us, but you know, other teams looking at some of this tape, they might want to give him a shot. So he's kind of earned his stripes in silence. I think he was one of the sweet factors from this game. But um, definitely the rookies stole the show for us when we're talking about how they were doing it was off the charts they were breaking records as i said though it it just was not enough i mean we lost 30 by 37 points 140 to 103 booker at 32 points chris paul at 17 points 12 assists but i still count it as a win i mean we kind of get our objective here because are we trying to win every single game i don't really know i'm not gonna say 100%. I think if I were to say, you know, mathematically, what's the best idea for us? Losing games is is a pretty good route to go. We want to make sure we can get a top pick. And with Houston not really being ours, like it's not going to be a great chance for us. Like we're going to be right below that 50% mark. I'm almost positive they're going to be in that final three. The only thing we can control is ours, and we have Miami's. That's going to be mid-first. We can really just assure that, and Golden State, they got killed by the Raptors, like 50 points or something crazy like that. The Raptors team, we torched with the same exact lineup, plus Pokachevsky, and we lose by 37 to the Suns. It's wild, you know, how this tanking game is working out. I know that the Warriors were down a lot of pieces, but I mean, we're not going to have that pick. We're not really sure about the heats. Point being, you know, only pick that's going to matter is ours. Like, that's the only thing we can really deal with. So we get the loss there. 
But I think the most exciting part just comes now. Our rookies were playing, and I talked about at halftime how they already had racked up a ton of points. Well, the end of it, they were not just in the franchise history books. They were also in NBA history books. They were the first pair of teenagers on the same team in the same game to drop 20 plus points. Teo Maladone dropped a career high 33 points on this game and Alexei Pokachevsky had 20 points. This was one of those times where we didn't have a real shot, just let them ball out, and they 100% did. Maladone shot 8 of 10 from the field. A lot of those were coming from 3. 5 of his 8 makes were from there, and he shot 5 of 7. Just blistering hot when you find him wide open. Catch and shoot, he is already so dangerous as a 19-year-old. Doesn't make sense how he got picked 34th. But anyways... He was just crushing it there, and even when he was penetrating, he didn't make a lot of them, but he got to the free throw line. He shot 10 free throws in this game, made 8 of them, and he was just 1 point shy of breaking the Thunder rookie record for points in a game. The man who has the claim for 34 points is not Kevin Durant. It's Russell Westbrook, and he ended up doing it way back against the Sacramento Kings. It was an overtime game. His matchup was Bobby freaking Brown, the guy who played for the Houston Rockets about three years ago. Bobby Brown played for the Sacramento Kings just a little bit, just complete journeyman, played in overseas. I think he played in China, comes back to Houston. Point being pretty washed up. Maladon does this against one of the best point guards in the entire league in Chris Paul. And I know Chris Paul, I mean, he didn't have to be thrown out there for the entire game. You know, this was a, this was a game where you saw a lot more of the younger guys like Javon Carter, even though he's not that young, but I mean, Paul only played 21 minutes. It was kind of just a timeshare there, but Maladon, he was playing guys way better than what Russell Westbrook was playing against. And Russ, he had five 30-point games in his rookie season. But Maladon, I mean, he's had some 20-point games. And now he finally has that eruption when the keys have been handed over to him. Mark Dagnall said after the game, Maladon controlled the game. Also, we're talking about his free throws in the post-game conference. Just a lot of good things going his way. And it's no real surprise, whenever he got picked in the second round, I had him ranked as the number 20 guy. I thought the Miami Heat were going to select him. Obviously, they decided to go a different route with Precious Achua. I think I had Achua ranked a bit higher. So I guess it makes sense why they got him. But I thought that Maladon was going to be a first-round lock. I mean, what he had brought over in France was kind of already ridiculous. The shot was something that was a question mark, but he shot it minimally, but he did have good percentages. You already knew as a pick-and-roll player, he was top of the class. I think when I made my episode, I had Killian Hayes and LaMelo Ball as the only two better playmakers. If I were to revert that or change it up, obviously I'm going to toss Killian Hayes out of there. I know he's going to be set to make a, a, a game. I think he's been out since like January. But Maladon's definitely looking like a better playmaker than him, and LaMelo... Lamelo's looking amazing, so I'm not going to battle them together. But Maladon, 
by all accounts, is one of the elite playmakers coming out of this draft class. So he walks in here. That's what I expected from him. He has turned into a deadly, deadly shooter, and he doesn't necessarily need screens every single time. He was using a ton of Moses Brown screens, especially in that third quarter, to get open for triples, but he didn't need them all the way. He was actually trying to size up players, create his own shots, and he was killing it. I saw some things where people were kind of wondering, you know, where he would be in the next five years. Like, is he a role player kind of guy? Is he a six man kind of guy? Should he be starting? He's only 19 years old doing this. He's going to be a starting caliber player. And, you know, with him being 6'5, SGA 6'5, they've split time at the one and two. How you really dice it up? Would he be a six man? You know, you say you get another lottery level prospect in this draft who's a guard. How do you mismatch it up? That's going to be a very tough decision because I seriously think the potential he is showing warrants him being a major piece. I know with the upcoming draft class, though, when you have three hard hitting point guards, Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, and Jalen Suggs. If you can snag one of them, you're going to do it, and you're going to have to work everything around. But oh my goodness, Maladone is legitimate. He will be able to develop for you, and what he was doing across the court actually was giving me kind of glimpses of what we saw from Shea last season when he was sidekick to Chris Paul and even at times Dennis Schroeder. He will spot up when necessary, but when he is allowed to just have the offense to himself, he is going to be able to run it and he orchestrates it very, very well. Now, was he going for triple-double numbers? No. I mean, he only had three assists on the game and um, it's just because he wasn't looking to pass. I mean, he was in the zone. If you're making almost every single three, you're going to play like Steph Curry. You're not going to be playing like Chris Paul trying to kick it out to someone if they have a little bit of opening. There was hardly any opening for the Thunder the entire game. Like, they didn't even shoot above 40%. So when you got one guy who is making it when he's got the green light, you keep going to that guy. And I love Dagnall for not pulling it away from him. Maladone, he only played 31 minutes and he didn't play the start of the fourth quarter. But he's still giving him reps really across the whole time. So he was able not only to reach his accolade, but just really feel himself. Like, he was not going to be stopped by the end of the contest. You add more more minutes, he's going to get, like, 45. Add 10 more minutes, add an extra quarter. It was just going to be that way. No way Javon Carter would be locking him up. And then with Pokachevsky as well, with him shooting 7 of 14, 4 of 6 from downtown to reach his 20 points. Kind of the same talk you have with Teo Maladone. I mean, he has had those moments where he's looked great, especially after coming back from the Orlando bubble. Just hasn't been able to really just go full-fledged. Now with everybody kind of gutted, they want the rookies to be the stars. He has been allowed to do that, and he just looks so more into it. Like, he is so comfortable, and it's something that has been just rattled out really every time Dagnalt or people have just been talking about Poku. It's just look at how he's changed his pace. And it's it's vague and like I get it. It's like, you know, maybe it's overused, but that's really how you kind of fit the bill with Pogachevsky. The things you've seen from him in these last couple games, he was doing way before just the way he was doing it was pretty bad. Like we saw him do the errant shots, like 
He's shooting in front of everybody's faces. He's doing goaltendings whenever the ball is clearly going to be coming out of the cylinder. Just stuff like that. Just those puzzling plays, like the turnovers as well. He's really just cut down on the turnovers. Like, they still happen. But whenever you give him the ball, you're not expecting a turnover. Like, it's kind of a surprise. And you go looking at the box score. He had two turnovers, for instance. That's not something in your back of your head. Like, in January, whenever we looked at Pokachevsky, we saw the turnovers. And immediately, it's, let's check the turnovers and see maybe how he can improve. That's not a real weakness with him right now. And it can change. Like, there will be games where he might spike back up to four or five. But it's not a major, major issue with him. And I think shot selection has kind of been bad in the past. All his shots in this game, I thought were pretty well warranted. Like, he could not get a legitimate matchup against the Suns. Their only real seven-footers were Kaminsky, who couldn't play. And you also have Aiton. Aiton's going to be your center the whole time. So, so you got to look to the guys like Mikhail Bridges, Jay Crowder. Off the bench, you had Cameron Johnson. You had Sarich. They could not figure out Pokachevsky. And they were kind of stuck in this no man's land because you don't want to see Poku driving into the basket because hell, he's seven feet tall, seven foot three wingspan. But also, you know, you kind of want to test out a shot. And the shot was falling all game. As I mentioned, four of six from downtown. And even in the mid range, he was working. So they're given a window of opportunity for Poku. He's going to take it every time. And once he starts kind of piling those in, the defenders, they want to try to creep up. And I think it was the second or third quarter when this happened. But Mikhail Bridges fell victim to Pokachevsky. So Poku, he's got the ball perimeter. I'd say left wing. You know, kind of kind of near the top of the key though. So not entirely, you know, where the hash mark would be at. So he's kind of just there. Mikhail Bridges, he's trying to play a little bit tight on him. Poku just drives right around him. And then he gets right under the basket goes up for a reverse layup so he's kind of caught up in the air right under the rim got about two guys near him Mikhail Bridges he did a nice job kind of coming back and then you get a little bit of help defense as well from the center so kind of clogged up you want to try to take that reverse that's going to be a pretty bad shot for you Maladone was spotted up in the right wing nobody was near him and this is a play where on television this is the no-brainer read like obviously you're gonna pass the basketball in real time split second decisions that's gonna be very hard to make and the fact that Poku whenever he's driving in was actually looking at other options and when he got up in that reverse wasn't just dead set on taking that layup it really means a lot and the fact he was able to spot him out make a perfect pass Maladone can grab it shoot it cleanly there's no kind of bobbling no bad placement it means a lot not just for Poku but also Maladone I think it kind of shows a connection between them and for Poku it really just shows how he's kind of just opened up his game because you know he's always been one to make the crazy crazy passes but they didn't really have a high success rate now he's making these plays really high IQ passing plays and they're working seamlessly like the only real insane passing plays we saw from him obviously in the bubble that's where he was at his best I don't know if he's gonna top the the um the save alley-oop play I think it was to Moses Brown 
in this season. Maybe somewhere down the line, Poku can top it, but he was just doing street ball moves, and they were like 50% chances. He's doing these plays, not all too flashy, but still very smart. He doesn't need to go the extra mile to make it look cool. Just getting it to work and have a higher success rate, that's what you want to see, and I really loved how Poku just did that on that play. I know it might be simple, and it's kind of just going to be a wash in a couple games, but that's a big thing to pick apart from him. I think the normal scoring was just him hitting sync. Like Whenever he has these 1-for-8, 1-for-10 games, you're really looking at the same shots. Like People back up a little bit on him, and he's so tall, he's able to get the shot off, but he's just barely missing. Once he sees one go go in, he just keeps popping, and the success was just really primed for him in this game. And, you know, when you look at the other players, I talked about Justin Jackson. He was kind of the only other major player in this game. He had 15 all in that fourth quarter alone, but he still had some pretty nice pieces. Kenrich Williams, he had 10 points. Very odd of him. He did not shoot like 66% like he usually does just 4 of 10 on the game, and you had Ty Jerome who made his return to Phoenix. I said in my last podcast that Jerome would actually not be playing against the Phoenix Suns. I think it was actually in the title too, um, but he, he was cleared like an hour or two before tip-off. They made a new injury report, and Ty Jerome was good to go, so he was able to play. He played 17 minutes not his best game though. He shot 2 of 11, 1 of 7 from 3 and got 5 points on the game. And you saw other players like Josh Hall come in, 0 of 4 shooting, really was not a big factor. Just things kind of that nature. And then you also had another bench piece in Tony Bradley. He actually played more minutes than Moses Brown by like 30 seconds whenever they're playing together. I think the center rotation is just kind of isolated to those two right now maybe they will open it back up to Roby but with the roster so thin like Roby's able to play a solid like 20 plus minutes at the three and the four spot so they don't open it up they just want to see Bradley kind of work but he went in there shot four of six had nine points on the game and he's a solid backup you know as kind of talked about whenever he came over here, like he's good and I think he's gonna be a journeyman piece, but he's six foot ten, not crazy, crazy uh, athletic or anything. So he's kind of fills in the gashes and he'll give you a solid like 15 minutes of play. But starting wise, I don't know. I don't know how much there is kind of untapped with him. I think Moses Brown definitely has more openings with him and like there's a lot more room for him to grow we've already seen him at 21 dominating Bradley's 23 and like yeah he's solid but you know the only other exponential growth I could see is like if he developed a shot which he tried out twice in this game and I don't know if I want to ever see it again I don't think he hit the rim on either of those attempts so he may be a little bit capped out I think he's decent I wouldn't call him a future bench player of this team though I think he's gonna run out of our contract and you know we might throw him an offer but it's not it's not gonna be a crazy contract like the dollar amount there if we give it to him should only be like two three million to be quite honest with you I think another team like a playoff contender could use his services actually pretty well moving forward but he he had an all right game statistically Moses Brown he did not um 
you know, whenever he's facing these bigger guys, it has been a tough time. And they were trying to get him the ball in the first quarter. He shot 0 of 4 in this game, but I think in the first, that was really when he was trying to prove himself. And Aiden's on him. You've seen Aiden. It looks like he's on steroids. Looks like that's what he eats for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Obviously, he doesn't. He's just super built. But, you know, seeing him try to work down low was, it's a difficult task with Aiton alone, and then you add in them just swarming the paint and having a concentration there, there really was no chance Moses Brown was going to have much success. The only point he got was from the free throw line, actually. So he only had 1.7 rebounds. Might have been his worst game coming back from the Orlando bubble. But it's just something you kind of work through. And I think next game, it really should not be that big of a problem. And, you know, next game going to be happening tonight, as I've stated. But just the game, I think that it really just speaks to how well Phoenix has been. It's a bright note for us because of what we saw from our young guys. But, you know, you kind of just take what you have. Hopefully you see more of Maladon and Pokachevsky kind of starring. I want to see them chucking up as many shots as they feel necessary and see if they can continue the hot streak against Portland and then even move it along after their day or two of rest once they head back to the Chesapeake Energy Arena. But the deed is not done. They have to face the Trailblazers tonight at 9 p.m. And injury report is going to be the exact same for the Oklahoma City Thunder. All those starters that we've talked about before, SGA, Dort, Baisley, Horford, we already know. I might quit talking about them, honestly. And then Mike Muscala out of the picture. And for the Trailblazers, they really don't have any heavy hitters out. Like The last times we played them, we saw CJ McCollum not playing. Yusuf Nurkic not playing. Now, it's only down to Zach Collins and Nasir Little. Zach Collins feels like it feels like it hasn't played since his rookie year. Like he has just had a rough break when it comes to injuries. It's a left ankle that he's dealing with right now. And then Nasir Little, he's looked alright when we've played him. Like he hasn't been a standout. He's just a solid like defensive pre. Got a little bit of hops. You know, if you've seen his high school tape, he was ridiculous hasn't really gone crazy on that side of the ball with us yet but we don't have to deal with them so you're looking at the same lineup from the trailblazers and it's going to be dame time all over the place cj's good norman powell's replacing gary trent jr and gary trent jr's on another level than norman powell when the thunder square off against those two guys maybe it might just be a portland thing and he will assume the role of gary trent Please no, because you already got Damon CJ. But you got that three. And then you also got Nurkic, who is going to be back. And you got Enos Kanter backing him up. One of the best rebounders in the entire league. So this is a pretty well-decorated team we're going to be playing up against. And I don't know if the result would be as bad as a 37-point loss. But this is by no accounts an easy game to be playing and I already mentioned I think those like five names already I might be forgetting the most important of them all and Anthony Simons he's gonna have probably 25 points if history repeats itself again maybe even more than 25 because that's just Simons for you whenever he plays against us so they have so many shot creators and threats you got to deal with we don't have the defenders to match up with them right now at least I wouldn't think so like Svi has looked good 
you probably match him up against CJ McCollum. Pokashevsky, is he going to be playing Norman Powell or something? I want tickets to that game. I would want to see that firsthand. And then Maladone, already played one of the best in Chris Paul. Now you get to play one on that same level in Damian Lillard. So seeing him kind of try to play someone who's really just ISO heavy, like he'll use the screens, but he cooks up in in ISOs. I don't want to talk about all the ISOs he's done because it's going to make me mad. It's going to make you mad. We all know why. Rather not talk about it, but Damian Lillard can cook up. I want to be quite honest with you. And then I just want to see him try to work on Damian Lillard. I think that's the battle I'm looking at, but also Poku, just seeing who they're going to try to match up against him. That'll be fun. Maybe Rocco will get time. I mean, one of the best 3 and D wings. Maybe he's fallen off a little bit in terms of name recognition. You also got Carmelo Anthony. That would be super funny. Like, if I want to see Carmelo try to post up Pokachevsky and just see the end result of that. And maybe even some rebound battles between the two. I guess a sneaky good pick for the best matchup in the entire game could come from Moses Brown. And you could say it's his revenge game against the Trailblazers. This might be the first time he will actually play against them. Maybe in a couple games, like their first game of the season, he could have played like two minutes and I just didn't know. But this is the first time he has a serious role against them. He's going to have a real statement to make because he didn't lose out on his Portland Trailblazers job because of Yusuf Nurkic. He was hurt all season. That's why he was there in the first place. He lost out his job to players like Caleb Swanigan and Wenyan Gabriel, who are hanging on to the league or being in the league by a thread right now. So he has just risen. I really want to see that matchup, but I think even more than the Nurkic side of things, I want to see how he plays against Enos Kanter because we've seen him as a rebounder. I think when it comes to offensive rebounding, he's in the top five in the rebound percentage or just in, in general, like he is great. So I want to see how he works there. That's really his downside. I want to see Moses Brown setting some high ball screens for Maladone when we got Canner. See how he reacts to that. And you're either going to see some Maladone easy shots or some alley-oops going Moses Brown's way. So that's the sneaky thing I would want to be watching. This is going to be another one of those games where you just kind of sit back, relax. End result, I don't know. I'd probably go the Trailblazers here. But it should be a pretty fun game because expectations are not that high and when you got stuff like that and you're willing to watch regardless it's going to be great and you know if it's going to be a blowout where no one shines yeah it's disappointing but you always are going to have a young guy to talk about because everybody on this team who's playing is like 23 or under and if everybody kind of hits the ball out of the park and we lose you're going to have something to talk about for the next day and that's why I really love talking about this team because there's so many different players to be talking about and just stories in general and I'm going to be talking about it tomorrow. Just like always, I'll get you guys a game recap, get you a preview for the next game, and then maybe some one-off stories leading off into the next week. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See you.